Welcome to Thrive in the Future podcast, positive solutions to help you thrive, designing your intentional life, homesteading, gardening, and rediscovering culture and tradition. Are you thriving this summer? Join the thriving community telegram group where we share our real world successes and failures on homesteading, gardening, and designing your intentional life at signup.thriveinthefuture.com. Okay, welcome back to Thrive in the Future. Today, I have Will Horvath from Permaculture Apprentice. Welcome, Will. Oh, thank you. I'm honored to be here. Yes, thanks. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, so um, I would say that I'm primarily uh, an author and a blogger. Uh, I have my uh, website, Permaculture Apprentice, where I teach people how to you know, find design and, and develop their permaculture properties. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have my own uh, property, which I am actually developing. It's a seven acre farm, which is in a remote area. So I don't, I don't actually uh, live there. I live on a smaller one quarter acre block in a, let's say suburban setting of a small, small town. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, you live in Europe, yeah. right? Yes, I'm in Europe, in Croatia, so that's mm-hmm. Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. So uh, mostly, what what I what occupies my day is producing content for people, doing educations, uh, coaching, and consulting, and then work outside on the in the garden and food forest. You know, testing things, trying things out, and then distilling. You know, creating frameworks and uh, teaching people um, how to let's say quicker implement something and learn. So that would be my, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I really like, uh, I've taken several of your courses on the permacultureconversion.com. I've yeah. taken the Creating Food Force Guilds. Yes. And I, I really like your Finding Land course where you're talking yeah, about yeah. taking it from your dream and then evaluating your dream because so many people just don't get past the dream part. Right. Yeah. And then I like how you go into assessing the land and, and the tips and things you give. Yeah. That's everything is uh, in the assessment. Of course, first is getting clear on your goals. And, you know, a lot of people have aspiration goals. And then it's about, okay, so let's distill down that aspiration goal into something tangible in terms of what you're trying to establish what you're trying to grow, how much land do you need? And um, then after that, assessing assessing land and going from more, going from patterns to details, meaning you first, if you're searching for land and if you have that opportunity, then looking at uh, first at the big picture, like a self in the region, you could say that bioregion or, or, or state, if you're in the US, and then looking, uh, narrowing down into locality and finally then into the property and the assessment skills on each of those levels are important and uh, I really enjoy I really enjoy this kind of um, not the most interesting part for me but it's very interesting part of permaculture because that's part of the design process you know Mm -hmm. it's uh, defining your goals and vision and values and and then after that you know site, site assessment before you go into the uh, design phase and then implementation. So each of those phases are very interesting to me. And, you know, I live them. I live uh, um, every day uh, in, um, 
one of those phases you know either i'm looking for land myself you know assessing because i'm still you know i'm still uh trying to find something better uh where we are here now something bigger so i'm always assessing for mm -hmm. land around me uh, i'm always kind of designing in my head now i'm doing i have a garden and a food forest so it's always something um in that you know in that circle in the flywheel between you know goals and site assessment and design and implementation mm -hmm. yeah that sounds good so the uh yeah i'm surprised you still have the permaculture apprentice since you're a permaculture master basically right <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's i would say i started that with uh but i still have that uh mindset because um i definitely and positioning i would say as well because sure. i definitely because permaculture is so vast and you know it, it embodies so many disciplines you can't you know you're always kind of learning something you're always apprentice in something you know it's not just one you know it could be i could be great in gardening or food forest or site assessing and but then i don't have that much experience with animals so in that in that sense i'm apprentice with in regards to holistic management with animals you could say so i i am keeping that yeah keeping that's that a, name that's for a now. great approach yeah. That's yeah. a great approach because what I've seen is even after taking the the food force guild and you set up your guild, then it progresses. And I planted mint and things, strawberries around my herbaceous layer. And yeah. you know, they've been taking over through secession to something else. Yes. Right? So yeah. Yeah. you know, it's always learning more and then and then seeing, okay, what happens if I put this in here? And um one of my classic as we get into talking about type one errors even though it's not on the level of a pond or whatever um, i planted apples in my apple tree guild and then i surrounded them with elderberry but then the elderberry outperforms the apple yes and it shaded out the apple um yeah. the south and so i have to trim the elderberry back every year so that it just yeah. doesn't overtake the apple yeah elderberries uh Elderberry can grow all types of environments, and it's really you know one of my favorites, definitely, because I definitely every winter survive, not survive, but you know all the illnesses that come with winter of the viruses. Elderberry is actually the remedy for that. So sure. uh, every every year we harvest and dry the flowers, and we have it to, to, for winter, and um, it you know you, you can prune it so much and it still comes back so there is a lot of biomass there and it grows in uh, uh, in uh, waterlogged areas it it, it uh, grows in dry areas it grows in shade in full sun and it even grows in, in guilds uh, uh, in a guild with walnut so mm -hmm. that's you know walnut is very competitive and you know it, it has certain plants that it doesn't allow Sure. Uh, in in the vicinity uh, and elderberry is one that can survive so it's very versatile plant in a sense and it's very uh, quick growing so i can imagine i can imagine the issue there with an apple so it can, in, in one year in one year you prune it in one year it's it's back and it's growing and it's it could be higher you know than huh? uh, than an apple so yeah definitely and it seemed like it was spaced appropriately but <laughs> no it just took over <laughs> the whole thing so, yeah, yeah, it's a good problem to have. I think you know, 
Yeah, it I could think be. so too. Yeah. <laughs> so what other kind of let's let's talk about a little bit of uh, other type one errors. I mean, there's the big stuff like water, but yes. uh, what other what other horror stories have you seen or funny stories? Well, there I have you know when I was doing the design course, then I went deep into the subject and. Uh, depends on the scale you know if you're if you're on a backyard scale then the type one error uh, is not as big as let's say if you are on a big farm and you decide to put an access way somewhere and then you have a ten thousand dollar you know maintenance issue every every year after it erodes so depends on the scale the scale of the type one error will be uh, as a pro, uh, proportional to uh, the scale of the property uh, mm -hmm. but if i would say let's say on a on a uh, any scale if you decide to and you have the opportunity to put your garden somewhere then uh, um, putting it uh, somewhere where it's blocked where something blocks access to the sun would be one of the type typical type one errors you know that can happen it can even happen to me in a sense, not for the whole garden, but certain parts of the garden I didn't plan. And then I didn't look at what ha what's happening with the winter sun. And okay, I can take that into, I can say in a sense, okay, that's a microclimate for certain type of plants. But if I wasn't planning on doing that, you know, and the scale of error could be much bigger. You could put the whole garden somewhere where it doesn't get the afternoon winter sun and then you're left with i don't know three hours okay not many things things are not going in winter but in the shoulder seasons you know that actually is a problem so mm -hmm. like so blocked solar access on you can hit thunder can you hit thunder <laughs> okay so probably the zoom is blocking the noise okay so something with the blocked solar access in all scales, you know, it could be that you are putting your um, greenhouse or your garden um, in the rogue spot, which doesn't get enough sun. That would be like a typical. Mm -hmm. And the only, if you are, the only way to fix that is to move the garden. But if you can't move the garden for some reason, then you can't change the fact that you don't receive enough sun. So that would be like a typical type one error. So. Um, I don't know if you had particularly that you want to address, but there are certain definitely there are certain categories and certain categories apply to and basically all it means when we talk about type one errors that you made a design design decision, which was a mistake in a sense that you place your element within that design in the wrong spot. And now because you place it, depending on the type of the element that you placed, like uh, you can easily move the compost pile, but you can't move a swale. You know, once you do, you once you implement, install the swale, it's there. The only way to fix it is, you know, to, to put the soil back <laughs> into the into the trench, and you know, you try to put it somewhere else. So, well, so when when we are talking about those type of earth, well, and I mentioned earthworks, so doing some type of earthworks. Um, and then, you know, implementing it in a certain area and then uh, seeing that you actually don't need 
Svale because the Svale, once you implement the Svale, Svale um, actually changes the layout of your property. You, know, you mm -hmm. can't go over it. You um, there, there are trenches uh, and Svale is a tree growing system. So the trees will be growing there. So there is no way that you're going to move that Svale. Sure. Uh, easily so that will be type one error as well so mm -hmm. and there are there are many so i'm not sure if you want to any in a particular any category or you want me to continue i'm not keen of doing it like a monologue on next oh, no. minutes, yeah so. yeah so i've uh yeah some of the examples that i've seen is uh i have i have i planted apple trees out in zone three yeah yep. zone four and yeah. it's yeah. more than 100 yards away from the water and yes. so I could run a hose back there, but that's, you know, too far. And, uh, and that was back when I didn't understand that, um, I was still thinking stun method, right. And yes, stun method yes. doesn't apply to grafted trees. So <laughs> yeah. I planted a lot of, uh, grafted trees and they just didn't make it. Luckily one year it was, uh, really wet. And then I have three apple trees back there that are doing okay. Um, I planted some nut trees back there too, and I've started making little micro swales and micro mounds and, and mm -hmm. kind of that's helped a lot, but, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, just that whole, gee, I probably shouldn't have planted these back here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that would be like a, you know, typical and something that, um, I would say that it's easy to make, uh, in a sense that you, even, even zones can sometimes change in what you are planning to do and then circumstances change and then it starts to be too far or something like that but when you are let's say if you're planning like a whole property and you're doing it from scratch another type one error would be that if you are planning if you are putting uh property infrastructure like you know your barn or sure your um coop or whatever if you if you don't put it tightly enough if you widely disperse it across your property then you are walking like the typical type one error that my grandparents made on on the property that i'm currently managing that i inherited was that they placed their homestead infrastructure uh, the barn and the garage and um place where they're putting their uh the wood shack and so it's all dispersed Mm -hmm. And I know when I'm working in my garden or food forest there, if, you know, I'm constantly going between, okay, I need that tool, so I'm going to the garage, or I need this thing from the barn, so I'm going to the to the barn, and it all adds unnecessary mileage. If it were all placed, you know, tightly together, then I wouldn't do uh, so many steps. So that would be like a typical type one error. Sometimes that's inherited, like I did, you buy property and the property is not you know, organized, uh, the, the infrastructure is not organized with energy efficiency in mind. So, sure. but if you're planning it, if you're planning a property from scratch, then that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. So one of the examples you had along those same lines was the house was a little too close to the lake. And so it caused some, some flooding, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, if you, you are remembering correctly in a sense that there was a lot of water that, but that wasn't, that was, uh, it's a characteristic um, type of event because that's a lake, but it's actually floodwaters. Mm -hmm. uh, we, because uh, half of 
Croatia is uh, basically limestone and karst um, environments. That means that you have huge valleys, uh, which have each valley has a big sinkhole at the end of the uh, end of that karst valley, where the uh, water sinks. Oh. And during the high, you know very strong uh, rain winds, uh, those sinkholes they can't absorb all that water, and then just you know the the lake actually you know keeps on growing and growing and growing and but that's actually flood water from a creek that goes in the middle of the valley um and uh, my grandparents they positioned the house high enough but not high enough to withstand you know thousand years flood event mm-hmm. so eventually um it can flood and it flooded two times the only remedy for that is you know, to put your house in another location. Sure. But, you know, we can't do that currently. It's actually the, the solution is building a house in some other location. And But that flood maybe doesn't come in my lifetime, but it could come. And it's always kind of in the back of my mind when there is a significant rain event or when there is a lot of snow, is the house going to flood? You know, mm-hmm. so that's kind of what your type one error does to your mind. You know, you're, you're kind of, you know, constantly worried and uh, yeah, looking what's going to happen. Yeah. In th- in those type, you know, if that's a type one error, we said, you know, type one error could be locating your garden somewhere where you're not getting enough sun, or it could be loca- locating your garden um, in a flood zone, you know, and, or it could be locating your garden in a valley bottom where you actually end up being in a frost pocket because cool air oh, will yeah, sink and it yeah in in it pool in a, in a frost pocket that's also type one error you can't do much except maybe you know the solutions are um costly in a, in a sense of energy time and resources or money that you're going to invest solution for that would be to either grow or build some barriers that are going to prevent that air for pooling into that valley. So it's always kind of the, the, the solution is always intensive in a sense of resources. Sure. So what kind of things could people do? You know, most people, when they look at land, they look at it during a certain period point of the year. And they don't take those things into account that, oh, well, they're not looking at it during the, the wet season. They're not looking yes. at it in the winter and they're not realizing their car is going to get stuck in that little depression in the driveway. Right. Yeah. 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 So what kind of tips I've, I've seen some of your, your, um, your tips in the, in the emails that you have on your mailing list, what kind of tips do you have to take into account when you're going from dream to to yeah, I want this. That uh, don't get overwhelmed with the want, and plan out a little bit more how it's going to work out. You mean in uh, context of searching for land or yeah, assessing sure. the land? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Searching for land, yeah, right. Okay, so there, are, you know, you can do a lot of just looking remotely at the property. You don't even have to be there. You have to be there in a certain. Of course, you have to be there in a certain um seasons of the year to see how the energy environment actually works on the site right but you could do a lot of things just remotely looking at the the topographic maps 
that would be one. I use Google Earth for everything. I can, you know, I see images and then I see where was the location. I see a topographic map and I can um, immediately, like I would always go from that overarching principle that I always keep in mind with, you know, from pattern to details, from bigger picture to, to, to finer details. Like the bigger picture would be what's happening in the neighborhood. Are there any threats in the neighborhood to to the property that you know I can I can only mitigate? Mm -hmm. That would be certain, you know, dump if there are toxic sites or industries or um, fracking or something like that. So that would be like the first. I'm first looking at the threats of the uh, uh, outside threats that I can't influence. I can only mitigate, and then more in a more when I zoom in. And what are the neighbors doing? And then property itself. And property itself would be, you know, how the topography looks like. Is it steep? Are there valleys? Are, is it flat? Is it open landscape? So um, definitely, well, it's my, pro you know, I, that's the work I do, but definitely having some sort of assessment framework or some checklist at least so you can check boxes and okay so i look this i look this i look you know and i know sure. that you are safe in a sense of you are eliminating the big threats and then there are always trade-offs you know you will always be doing trade-offs that are like in any life in a situation you want a perfect spouse but then there is a trade-off in what you get you want a perfect house but then there is a trade-off in what you get and what you want mm -hmm. with properties is the same but the most important thing is to eliminate those big things like if you're looking if you have a, like a checklist and the framework goes that you first look at the terrain is it too steep you can eliminate then you know you can check off so that's good and then the next would be for example, you look at the access. So how is the access to the property? Then you would look at, so how the how does the infrastructure in the property looks like? Is it widely dispersed or is it, as I said, um, maybe, you know, closer together or like a compound? Mm -hmm. And, you know, finally, there would be, you look at the soil. So eventually, if somebody is following any of the permaculture, influences out there or any of permaculture sources, they would know that there is a, a scale of permanence that to, to which you go and then analyze the landscape one by one. Right. And once you know that, that's a skill for for everything that you do in permaculture. It's a skill which you are using to assess properties. It's a skill that you are using when you are starting a garden or a food forest. It's always going through that um, framework and in design it would be like if there are two most important things that you need to assess it would be the sectors and then sectors would be that outside energies that are coming to the property and topography would be uh, you know the second one that is uh, the most important one so i'm not sure if i answered your question it's a oh, yeah, lot of question yeah it's a lot sure. of question in a sense but it always comes down to have some form of assessment framework or checklist and then go one by one eliminate the most important negative things that uh, you don't want uh, sure. property to have yeah yeah another thing i've seen is 
spend some time on the property to get the other things that are external, like you were talking about, that you may not mm-hmm. get from Google, right? So yes, uh, one yes. of the things around here is there's a lot of quarries. So yes. you may live on a gravel road and then it's all dump truck traffic. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then, yeah. you know, yeah, you don't want dump trucks going around all the time. Um, and then no, you're uh, definitely yes. Sorry, you, but you definitely, as you said, you have to you have to be present, sure, on the property. Mm-hmm. And but it's important, like this important, but somehow hard to do. You visit the property once and then you visit it again. I don't know how many times you could visit property and um, you know do that proper type of assessment. So it's all kind of sometimes you ideally want somebody to tell you in advance okay so here's what you can expect in the area but you know sometimes you don't get that as as an intel yeah another thing we have a problem with is a lot of folks move out here from the city and they want yeah. it to be like the city they want it yeah. to be quiet they don't want farmy stuff going on and yeah uh, and then, and then they and then they'll go to the county commission and and try yes. and get restrictions and it's like and yeah you moved out to the country why are you bothering me yeah, well, well, there's a problem. Like, you know, if you if you think about it, it's like in nature. Like, uh, they are pioneers in a sense, coming from a city, and then there is more and more of them, and they are creating, you know, engineering the environment in, to their advantage in a sense. Right. The more of the more of them, they come, um, then they have more influence, and then eventually they change. They change, you know, the zoning. They change. Right. The rules. So unfortunately, um, yeah, these processes are always in motion. And one of the things that I uh, actually recommend in my final land course that I have is to think about what are the future trends of the place that you are move, trying to move into. You know, because things. It's one thing when you're living in an area for twenty years, and I'm. I can assume in. U.S. in 20 years, you know, whole whole blocks, suburbs are made and built and people, you know, you, you could have your farm or you know, 10 acre farm and then it's just a lot of developments around you and right. it's no more farming. It's now, you know, like a typical suburban environment. Yeah, uh, we, we had that once where we had horses and then they they came and said, okay, now you need to get a permit for a horse. And now we put in these rules and basically, yes. you know, it, your barn's too close yes. to your house, your barn's too close to your neighbor. You can't have horses anymore. Yes. And, uh, yes. Yeah. And yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, that was one of the, for me, it, it was interesting exercise in trying to, um, to come up with an instructions on how to do that. But mm-hmm. it was really interesting and there are certain, there is always um, the best proxy is the economy mm-hmm. and then looking at the population. So if the population is growing, then um, obviously there is good economic conditions, but those then translate into more people coming and then, um, you know, it's more, it's not more uh, folks who are, um, when, wanting to live a more sustainable life in the countryside, it's more like uh, just urbanization. So that's always the, that's always the issue. So, but it's it's hard to predict what's going to happen. But two metrics are the population and the economy. 
sure. but still you, you don't want to be in a depressed area but um obviously in, in today's world would be looking at what industries what industries are in the area certain certain industries are not going to perform that well in whatever happening with technology and green transition and everything and certain industries will so mm -hmm. yeah. that's good so changing gears what's your cornerstone crop or tree or or plants that you're growing this year on your land um i have my food forest and in the food forest i'm always trying new things one thing that um like my staples would be um you know typical suspects you know apples and pears and but a lot of berries mm -hmm. um uh and i'm trying this year i'm trying with chestnuts and it's um it's challenging because i'm trying to go, grow chestnuts where chestnuts doesn't they don't want to grow so uh -huh. in a sense that's experiment um but in terms of trees most of my trees are in the ground and i've been doing uh i've been establishing my food forest for the last i don't know five six years so i went in stages in stages i when i once i had my layout um on on in, in my head basically not in a plan i planted my big canopy trees and then uh, i followed up all of that with uh, shrubs and I done that across the whole area where I'm planting my food forest. So most of my trees are in the ground and I'm uh, taking out the ones that are not performing well. Mm -hmm. So there is always something new. So, uh, but my design was instructed basically on the design limitations in a sense, what you were saying before uh, that lake. So the bottom of my food forest um, floods and then I try to adapt to plants that are going to be in those floodplain in that floodplain. So those were elderberries and chokeberries and um currants and stuff like that. So and oh, lots of great. things. Yeah. So and uh, I'm if I'm doing something new in a food forest, it would be okay. So does this tree is not performing well. Let me put another um like a plum I, I went big on plums last year um, where i was expanding um the food forest but mostly when it comes to the perennial plants and food forest it's mostly filling the gaps uh but when it comes when it comes to garden then it's basically everything um uh, minus minus the sweet potato that i didn't plant this year and you know i eat it a lot so i'm uh, I had a different experiment in experiment in mind, uh, growing uh, potatoes in um, pots, basically. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So this year, I'll be buying sweet potato, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, Will, what's the best way that folks can connect with you and get on your mailing list? Um, people can visit my permaculture apprentice, and there, they can. You know, browse my blog, blog and then see uh, if there's some interesting materials uh, they can they want to download or they can sign up for my email list um, in the sidebar. 
to for my newsletter or they can visit uh, my platform with courses which is promocoachconversion.com and um, and as i said and we touched upon uh, in this interview i have courses on each phase of permaculture journey from finding land to design to development of the property focusing on food forests and um uh, gardens so yeah. Right. yeah i really like your mailing list you send out very detailed um newsletter emails with uh, a lot of tips on them especially yeah thank you google earth and things like that and using yeah it, yeah, using yeah. i like that a lot it's my yeah i, I enjoy enjoy writing so that's something that um, I, on a weekly basis, I try to send at least one email, mm -hmm. which is either some kind of resource or a story or project that I'm working on, some practical info or something like that. So I think I think that's uh, like the best way to stay in touch with me. You know, sign up for the newsletter and then we'll be in touch if people are interested in following my work. Sounds good. Thank you, Will. Thanks for joining. Thank you very much, Scott. Sure. And check out Thriver News. It's thriving community news without the noise. It's where Perpet and I have more long-form articles about different topics, including homesteading, intentional living. For example, some of the things we've had here is how to make comfrey salve or balm on the fly, uh, the challenge of being present, basically musings from around the fire pit, Teaching kids that failure is an option. A food forest walkthrough of year three, what worked and what didn't. So check it out at thriver.news. Thank you for listening to Thriving the Future podcast. Like us and follow us on your favorite podcast app. So lately on Thriving the Future, we've been talking about things that you may not hear on other podcasts. So if you like what you hear, then shoot us a tip on Cash App at dollar thrive in the future at venmo at thrive in the future or join our patreon at patreon.com slash thrive in the future you can get early episodes you can get extra episodes with with perpend some of the examples are last year we did a a tour of watkins mill and you can really hear the difference of where perpend's mindset shifts to wanting to go to an intentional community in Kansas City, and then also to the monastery. In addition to that, got the extra episode with Cyprian, whole 25 minutes where he talks about crypto, he talks about risk to your wallet, and also what is a cargo cult. That's on the Thriving Patreon, patreon.com, Thrive in the Future. next time on Thrive in the Future podcast. Coming up on Thrive in the Future podcast, talking with uh, the Catholic Land Movement, and Ryan from Decentralized Radio will join, and he'll talk about his solutions to his autoimmune disease. That's coming up on Thrive in the Future podcast. <laughs>